Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Well, good afternoon. Welcome to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady. I'm here with you today taking your calls and texts live on the air. I want to say welcome to those of you who are listening in Colorado up and down the Front Range on Grace FM, all the way from Cheyenne down to Colorado Springs. We also want to say uh, hello to everyone who's listening on the East Coast on Hope FM in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Maryland. Uh, we're also glad to have those of you who are listening online. Welcome to the program. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Here at the beginning of the show is always kind of the best time to call in if you want to get on the air because we have always open lines for the first couple minutes of the show. Just to tell you a little bit about myself, my name is Pastor Nick Cady. I am the pastor of Whitefields Community Church in uh, Longmont, Colorado, and I host the show every Monday here on Calvary Live. I was away last week uh, for Thanksgiving. I took my family out to California just to be with my wife's family and some of our friends out there. So I missed last Monday, but I'm excited to be back with you and get to take your calls and uh, questions on the air, your prayer requests as well. I know the show didn't air last week on Thursday and Friday, so hopefully there's some of you who have had some questions stored up uh, that you have uh, wanted to call in about. Again, just a, a few words about myself. I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. I'd like to take the opportunity to invite everybody who's listening in our area to come and check us out sometime on a Sunday morning. We meet at 10 a.m. in the St. Vrain Memorial Building, which is in downtown Longmont, right at the corner of Kaufman and Longs Peak Avenue in the St. Vrain Memorial Building, which is on the southeast corner of Roosevelt Park, which is the city park here in Longmont. And we meet at 10 a.m. for Bible study and worship. And we have a children's ministry. And we would just uh, be very happy if you'd come and check us out. You can also check us out online at whitefieldschurch.com. We also air our teachings here on Grace FM every weekday. We have a show at 2.30 p.m. Mountain Time uh, from 2.30 to 3. You can hear us. It's called Life in the Field. You can also tune in on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., although I hope that you're in church. But if you, if you don't have a church or your church meets at a different time, always tune in Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and hear uh, those Bible teachings from our church on there. Um, just a few words more about our church. Uh, just some great things happening, kind of some praise reports that I have to share with all of you. Uh, our church started a project a couple of years ago called Project Greatest Gift. It's kind of like some of you have maybe heard of Operation Christmas Child. Maybe your church uh, participates in that. It's a Samaritan's Purse thing where they do like the gift boxes for kids in need around the world. Well, we thought, what can we do that's similar to that, but on a local level here in Boulder County, Weld County, Northern Colorado, where we're located. And so about eight years ago, we started a project and it started small. You know, we just started reaching out to local uh, foster care families through the uh, human services of, of the local counties around here. 
And over the years, it's grown. And this year we did, we kind of took a step of faith and, and kind of about three weeks into this four-week project, we, we were wondering, man, God, was this a good move? Did we hear you right? Were we really supposed to step out and do uh, so many this year? But then this past Sunday, yesterday was the final day for this project of recruiting people to provide Christmas gifts for these uh, foster families. And so we actually met our goal, which I'm very pleased with. And so here's what we do. We reach out to foster families and we provide them with Christmas gifts. And along with those Christmas gifts, we call it Project Greatest Gift because we tell them about the greatest gift in the world, which is Jesus given to them by God because he loves them. So we include with there some gospel materials. And this year we're actually going to be able to go a step further and we're going to reach out to them through a Christmas party that we're doing. Anyway, just a really awesome thing. I had mentioned it two weeks ago on the radio and some of you who were listening at that time actually called in and uh, or you also went to our church's website whitefieldschurch.com and you signed up to also provide uh, gifts and be part of this project so it's really cool and uh, really excited about what God's going to do through that and what he's done over the years another great thing I want to tell you about that's going up uh, going on up here at Whitefields is that we have started a school of ministry and uh, we have now a, a rented space where we have classrooms and we teach classes there. So we just finished our first round of classes in our new space for our school of ministry here at Whitefields. We finished up three classes, one in the minor prophets, one in biblical interpretation, and one we call Christianity 101, which is kind of the basics of the faith, kind of a Christianity for uh, people who are new to the faith. And so if there are any of you who would ever be interested in taking classes like that, we're going to start our next round of classes in January. But now's the time to start uh, getting information and signing up. We do church history classes. We do classes about how to read the Bible and things like that. So you can check out all of that information on whitefieldschurch.com and you can look in the ministry section. You'll find School of Ministry and you can get more information uh, and register to get more information sent to you when we run classes on there. Let's go ahead and go to our call-in line. We've got Will in li on line one from Greeley, Colorado. Hi, Will. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor. How are you? I'm doing well. Good, good. So uh, I'll just try to go quick here. I'm reading uh, through Mark right now, and I'm just uh, getting here to Mark uh, chapter 2, verse 1, and it just kind of threw me off a little bit when it says, a few days later, when Jesus entered uh, Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. Uh, come home is what threw me off. Um, just I believed, thought it was uh, Nazareth. Um, is Capernaum? Is it one of those things? I don't want to sound stupid, but is this kind of one of those things? Like it's Greeley, Colorado, or Nazareth, Capernaum, or is that? Am I no. just misreading that? Well, sure, that's a valid question. I think no, Nazareth was a separate town than Capernaum. <laughs> um, they were nearby each other. They're both in that northern region of Galilee. Uh, around Galilee, northern Israel. But, um, yeah, I mean, I would just tell you this, that Jesus uh, had his... So I'll tell you, actually, I'm looking it up now. It's 20 miles away from Nazareth. Okay. Uh, and Jesus made that kind of his home base. And so it's really this simple. I, I uh, grew up in Denver, Colorado, but now I live in Longmont, Colorado. You know what I'm saying? I, so, that, and that's kind of what I was inferring. That, that, I think that makes total sense. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really all it is that I mean, it, it kind of uh, is surprising, but we know that Jesus was raised in Nazareth. You know, when I say where I'm from, I'm I'm not from Longmont, but this is where I live now. I think, you know, I'm sure you can relate to that. So 
Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for answering that question. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for calling in. God bless Have you. Have a great day. Bye-bye. All right. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts today on the air. The number to call is 303-690-3000, or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Let's go to line two, where we've got Michael in Denver, Colorado. Hi, Michael. Welcome to the program. Hey, Pastor. God bless you. How are you, sir? I'm doing very well. What's going on? Well, I'm with a Christian friend of mine. And we have a question about a scripture um, in Mark thirteen twenty-seven uh, about the reference from end to end, end of heaven and end to end, 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 referring to heaven and earth. Yeah. Uh, can you explain what what that means? That reference to end to end, because uh, some people might think might come to think that the world is flat by that scripture. Really? Okay. Um. Well, it says here, I'll, let's read it in context, okay? Because that, that always helps, but um, let's read it in context. This is a section, by the way, which is called the Olivet Discourse. Jesus is on the Mount of Olives. It's right before his crucifixion, and he has come up to Jerusalem, and he's looking over the city of Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which sits across a valley from the Temple Mount and the place where Jesus would be uh, crucified. So Jesus goes up. He's, at the, uh, he's on the Mount of Olives. He's looking over... Um, towards Jerusalem, and he's talking about the forecoming destruction of Jerusalem and the very end of the age. So he's looking beyond just what is immediately going to happen. Because we know that Jerusalem was destroyed not long after this, but Jesus is actually looking out even further than that, and we know that because of what happens in this verse that you're referring to. So it starts in uh, Mark 13, starting in verse 24. In the days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not have its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken, and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory, and he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds and from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. So, again, this is a translation linguistic issue. That, that I think you're bringing up here because like I'm reading this um, translation you know and it sounds like what was the phrase that you said you, you were referencing? Oh. From, from, from the angels being sent forth and something from the end of heaven from end to end in heaven and earth right so from the ends of the earth yeah you know what I mean that is really just what we would call a colloquialism obviously the word world doesn't have its ends and actually the bible teaches elsewhere that the world is a sphere it says in job that he hangs the sphere of the earth and so the bible's talked about elsewhere as being a sphere um i don't think that the, this is mostly just uh, colloquialism you know we talk about the ends of the earth Here's round. <laughs> yeah well tell your buddy that the world is not uh not flat and that uh you know the Bible is not uh, in disagreement with science on this one. All right? All right. Thank you, Pastor. All right, you bet. God bless you. Okay. Bye-bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady taking your questions on the air. We just had a question about whether or not the earth is flat. Answer is no. The Bible does not say that the earth is flat, and um, neither does science. So good stuff. 
Please uh, continue to call in with your questions and prayer requests. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Let's go to line one. We've got John in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Hi, John. Welcome to the program. Hey, Pastor. How you doing? Doing very well. What's going on? Uh, you know, I heard a message earlier today, and it really uh, weighed on my heart. But when Paul was locked up, and the big earthquake came, and that cell door opened, and he had the opportunity to go. I mean, we do know that the opportunity wasn't for him. It was for that guard. You know, that, that really set him free. But Yeah, you're referring already... to Acts chapter 16, just for anybody who's listening who might want some reference there. Yeah, yeah, and... um you know, do you, do you think that it was already built into Paul that to stay, or do you think that God asked him to stay? I think God maybe knew he was going to stay, but what do you what are your thoughts on that? Uh, well, let's uh, let's look at the text. I'll tell you what I think about this in just a second, but I just want to kind of give our listeners uh, some frame of reference for what you're talking about. Since Acts sure. chapter 16, Paul goes to the city of Philippi. He gets arrested for preaching the gospel gets put in jail. He's there with Paul. It's Paul and he's there with Silas, who's his, you know, one of his companions on this missionary journey. And it says that they were in the midnight hour, so darkest hour, they're praying and they're singing hymns to God and all the other prisoners were listening. And then it says there, suddenly there was a great earthquake and the foundations of the prison were shaken. Immediately all the doors were opened. Everyone's bonds were unfastened. And, uh, and so then we read what happened. It says the jailer woke up and saw the prison doors were open. He drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Don't harm yourself, we're all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in. Trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas and said, Sirs, what, what must I do to be saved? So are you, are you asking whether or not God spoke to Paul in that moment and said, Hey, you know, don't go? Yeah, like, you know, this this isn't really for you. This is for the jailer. I think that's a great and legitimate question. And I'll tell you especially why. It's because we read about in Acts chapter 12 that Peter was in uh, jail, similarly, mm-hmm. right? And then the, uh, the others come and they start praying. Um, excuse me, sorry, I've got kind of a cold. Um, so they, the other Christians gather at a house and they start praying for Paul to get out of jail. And then it says that an angel came and let Paul or let Peter out of jail. And then Peter shows up. You remember, and the, the door's locked, and he knocks yeah, on the door. Right. Mm-hmm. And they say, "Hey," mm-hmm. and they say, "Who who is it?" And Peter says, "It's me, Peter." And then they shut the door and they say, "No way, it can't be you. You're in jail." <laughs> right? Like they didn't even believe that God had answered their prayer. Anyway, right. my point is being like, you know, Paul would have had some precedent there, wouldn't he, to say, "Yeah, maybe think. God just lets people out of jail, like when we pray and stuff," right? Yeah. Here's what I think. I don't know if Paul heard directly from God, but I will tell you this. uh, If he didn't, I will tell you that clearly what happened is that Paul sees this guy about to take his life and he says to himself, you know what? Me getting out of jail is not worth this man losing his life. And in fact, this is an amazing opportunity for me to bear witness to the hope of the gospel in this man's life. And, you know, just this incredibly countercultural thing of saying, I will choose to stay in jail for your sake. 
And I think that just represents the culture, you might call it, the culture of God's kingdom. It's what's been called the upside-down kingdom. You know, that, that we sacrifice ourselves. We have strength in weakness. We have victory through sacrifice. Yeah. And we, have, um, we have victory through defeat. You know, it's an upside-down kingdom in which uh, wrongs are made right and rights, you know, things are turned topsy-turvy because we live in an upside-down world as it begins with, so turning it right means turning it upside down. Yeah. So that's, that's my take on it, man. I think that uh, whether he heard from God or not, um, I think that's the, that's the bigger issue. Yeah, just fully prepared. You know, when the guard, he was asleep, and it was almost like he was just prepared, just waiting for any opportunity. In the inner room, you know, he was in a pretty, pretty crappy part of the prison. Right. Not that any of it was good, but uh, he was yeah. in a pretty bad part. Well, hey, I appreciate your time, Pastor. God bless you. God bless you. Thanks for calling in. All right. You got it. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady on the air with you today from Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts. The number to call is 303-690-3000, or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Just an additional thought on John's question there about whether or not he heard from God directly, whether or not Paul heard from God directly when he was in that prison. I was just having a conversation yesterday at, after church with uh, the great brother who attends Whitefields, and he was telling me, and what's interesting, you know, this, this particular guy, he's not the kind of guy who, uh, you know, says a lot of stuff like this to me, but he, he's also, you know, fairly new and recommitting his life to the Lord. So he says to me after church that one time, a few weeks ago, he goes to take communion, and he was, we take communion every week at church. So he was doing it during worship. He was taking communion. He went and he, he was sitting down. And before he took communion, he was just praying, Lord, what do you, what do you want me to do? What, what is your plan for my life? Because he's kind of in a transition period. And he said that he heard it and it was almost like it was audible, but yet it wasn't audible. And God was saying to him, patience. And it was just one of these things where he says, you know, I've never heard from God before like that. I never knew how it, how does that work when people hear from God? I mean, is there an audible voice? Is it just, what is it? And he said it was almost just like this. It was like an audible voice, but there was no sound. It just, came, you know, overrode his sensory capacity, you could say. And it was just God speaking to him. And he knew in that moment that that is what God was doing. So whether or not that is what happened with Paul in the prison there in Philippi, we don't know. But I will obviously say this, that Paul cared more about this man and being used by God than he did about his own freedom. And I think that that's just such an amazing example for us as Christians. You know, Paul later talks about that in his own life. He says, I would be willing to give up my freedom for the sake of someone else. He says that I might help them either grow in their faith or come to faith in the Lord Jesus. And I think that's such an exemplary attitude, but it's also what we're called to as Christians, what's been modeled for us in the Lord Jesus who laid down his life for us. Let's go to line two where we've got James in Boulder, Colorado. Hi, James. Welcome to the program. Hey, how's it going? Going well. Hey, is your radio on? Uh, it is. Okay. Could you turn that off while we talk? Yeah. Can you, can, uh, can you hear me better now? Yeah, that's great. Thanks. Oh, perfect. How are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing well. What's going on? Uh, driving back from Boulder, I just, um, I thought I, I heard, uh, the radio going on and I, th- uh, thought I'd ask you a question I got, uh, on my mind. <laughs> okay. 
Um, it is, um, uh, you know, I got a, I was going through the, uh, I was going through the Bible, the, I believe it's the New International Bible the other day. Um, I was just sitting down and kind of just uh, flipping through the, uh, uh, the flood story, and uh, I realized that in that version it said um, that Noah, uh, when he was instructed to gather up the animals, in that version specifically it says uh, he, he gathered seven of uh, each, uh, clean and unclean. And then, and I was looking through the other Bibles, and you know, I had always heard, you know, uh, he only brought two of every clean and unclean animal on the, on the, um, on the ark, and so I was, I was a little curious as to why. I had asked the pastor, and he said, you know, there was a meaning for it. I, he, I met him at a gas station, so he didn't have too much time as with his wife, um, and so um, I haven't had a chance to re-talk with him. So I thought I'd call you, and I, and I was, you know, I was scanning through it, and I realized that the flood dates in those versions are different. And I realized that um, in, in, in the uh, I don't I believe it's in the uh, in the international version that it that he sends out a dove first to find land uh, to when the waters decides uh, and the, uh, the the amount of flood dates had changed in that version and like uh, so I was a little curious why he sent out a dove in one version and the king, maybe it's, I think I believe it's the King James he sent out a raven and maybe in the international version he sent out a dove I'm not too for sure on the bird part there but I do know. In the international version, it's the seven of every clean and unclean, and and the other versions, in the King James version, preferably it'd probably be two and two. And I was just at a question of why that is. Yeah, so I'm looking it up uh, right now as you're speaking. I'm actually looking at the NIV, Genesis chapter six, and I am trying to find what you're what you're referring to. Oh, um, here's the NIV. It. Here's a, and it says, NIV. This is chapter six, uh, starting in verse nineteen. So Genesis chapter six, starting in verse nineteen. Here's what he says, or verse eighteen. He says, "I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wives and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, and keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, and every kind of animal, and every living creature that moves along the ground." And you're to take every kind of food that is to be eaten. And Noah did as God was instructing him. Now here's the only thing that comes to my mind when you say this, is that um, there's an instruction here for him to take these uh, two by two. But he also took more animals than that. So I don't actually know if this is a translation issue, because I'm looking at the, um, looking at the King James and I'm looking at the NIV at the same time. And in those sections there's not a discrepancy but if you do go on a little bit later in the story what you'll find is that he did take uh, higher numbers of certain animals and the reason he took higher numbers of certain animals was because he was going to sacrifice some of them so you know when he got off the ark he makes these sacrifices and it's a super big bummer if you just saved a bunch of species of animals and then you sacrifice them, or even if you sacrifice just one, right? Because then you're toast. So, um, <laughs> as far as as far as the the two oh, versus uh, the seven, the command was bring two of every animal, but some animals bring seven. Now, I will a- answer your other question just real briefly <clears throat> about Bible translations. Um, so. There are different Bible translations. The reason why there's sometimes some differences between those translations, 
uh, is for a couple reasons. One of those is a linguistic reason, because language changes over time. Our English language today is very different than Shakespeare's English language in his day. That's why it's difficult to read Shakespeare. And so as language changes, it's not that we're not that new translations are necessarily, and I say necessarily because I think there is a case in which they are doing this, but they're not necessarily changing the Word of God. Um, rather, they're putting the word, they're translating it into our modern vernacular as opposed to Shakespearean English, which we have in the, oh, like the old King James. But there, there are some cases where, um, especially with the King James, New King James versus almost every other translation out there, including the NIV, is that they're using different manuscripts. So you have two sets of manuscripts that were used. And I guess I'd boil it down for you in this way. The King James and the New King James are going with the uh, oldest documents, whereas the other Bibles are using the majority documents. And what that comes down to is that um, the question is, okay, so there are some extra verses, you could say, in some of these, these manuscripts. Oh, and sorry. So, I'm, I'm listening to you. Okay. So there are, some diff there are some extra verses in some of these manuscripts. And the question that Bible translators have to deal with is, were these uh, additional verses intended to be there? Were they part of the original Greek New Testament? Or were they added in as a kind of commentary or as extra stories later, later on? So that's really the debate. Uh, I know here on Grace FM and uh, for this program, they use the uh, New King James Version. I know for me and my church, I teach from the English Standard Version. Both of those versions are, um, they're very much like word for word versus uh, idea for idea translations. So you really have a spectrum as you translate. Anyway, th that's kind of just kind of the nuts no, I, and bolts. I, I get what you're saying. Of how that I, I really appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I think that's the main issue, though, with your question about Noah, is that if you're going to sacrifice some animals, you might want to make sure you, you, you know, God wanted to make sure he didn't kill off the whole species. So, right. And 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 if you, uh, if you, I, I really, I, I really appreciate the help on that. I, I didn't realize there was different um, translations and methods that they were using to, uh, to describe the, the word. I just. Yeah. Um, but, I, I I have one last question if you got, if you got time. <laughs> yeah, we got a couple more minutes before the break. What's up? I got. Have uh, you, you know you heard the story of uh, Gilgamesh? Gilgamesh, yeah. So like I um, I I don't know. I was reading this fairy tale or fable book um, that I had got from one of my teachers, and I was reading reading it, and uh, I mean. Um, I, and uh, you know, it kind of it kind of sounds like uh, Noah to a degree. And uh, I know that it's I don't know if you know I don't know uh, you know because it's like a fairy tale or what or whatnot or a myth a legend. Okay. Um, so like I don't know like uh, like what would your um, intake be on or uh, what would your uh, opinion be on uh, Giglamish? Do you think that that's like um, Noah uh, or is that probably just? Uh, story that's been told um, that, you know, like, because everything back then was told like word to mouth mm -hmm. and uh, passed down and um, the story might change over time. I just didn't know if maybe that story got interpreted uh, into the Bible. Like, uh, uh, like I know there's some, uh, like the Nephilim and stuff like that can't be included or wasn't included in the Bible and stuff. 
Yeah, or like well, some let, of those stories. Let me know? give it to you in this sense. Um, we got two minutes before the break, though. Actually, less than two minutes. So I'm going to have to make it quick, and then I'll let you go. But uh, okay. just give you a quick answer. Story of Gilgamesh is basically it's from Nineveh, it's from Chaldea, which is Babylon. So Nineveh, Assyria. So this is the area east of Israel, and it tells a very similar story to the story of Noah. Now um, that shouldn't debunk at all in any way the story of Noah. In fact, all it does is just kind of uh, reinforce the fact that this story is telling about an event that truly happened. And what's in addition to that is that there are similar stories found in other cultures of a worldwide flood right. that destroyed yeah. everyone and a righteous man saving uh, the world through by being on a boat and everything being destroyed. I mean, furthermore, you have uh, evidence of a flood all over the world in um, geology. And so uh, I'm actually going to continue to answer this question. I'll let you go, but make sure you tune in after the break. We're going to go to a two-minute break right now. We'll be oh, back you're perfect, in Pastor. just a minute. All right. God bless you. You've been listening to Calvary Live. We'll be back in just a Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome back to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church taking your calls and texts live on the air. I'm with you every Monday and I want to say welcome to welcome back to the show all of you who listen in Colorado. Wyoming, up and down the East Coast, in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Maryland, as well as to everyone listening online. Welcome back to the program. The number to call is 303-690-3000. It's 303-690-3000. You can text us at 720-336-0897. I'll just again introduce myself. I am the pastor of Whitefields Community Church, which is located in Longmont, Colorado, we are in downtown Longmont at 700 Longs Peak Avenue, which is in the St. Vrain Memorial Building, just on the southeast corner of Roosevelt Park, which is a city park here in Longmont. We're right on the corner of Kaufman and Longs Peak Avenue in downtown Longmont. And we'd love for you to come visit us if you live in this area, in the Boulder County, you know, southeast Weld County, even south Larimer County area. Uh, we'd love for you to come and check us out. You can always check us out and listen to all our teachings, messages online at whitefieldschurch.com. And you can also tune in here on Grace FM. Our sermons air every weekday uh, at 2.30 p.m. Mountain Time, 2.30 to 3 o'clock p.m. And that's every weekday and on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. And our show is called Life in the Field. So we had a question before we went to break, and it was the question was, what about uh, there's this story of Gilgamesh? So, the story of Gilgamesh, and it was unearthed, you know, at some point not that long ago, and it was found in the region of Nineveh, which is Assyria, Babylon, and um, that was found, and it was dating back to 650 BC. And it told a story which was strikingly similar to the story of Noah. And so our caller was asking, you know, what do we make of that? Like, what, what do we do with that? Should, does that reinforce our belief in the, the fact that there was an actual flood that the Bible uh, talks about? That's something that actually happened? Or 
or does that cause us to question the legitimacy of the Bible? And the answer to that is, it doesn't cause us to question the legitimacy of the Bible at all. In fact, uh, just the opposite. It does absolutely reinforce our confidence in the in the what the Bible says that these are not just fairy tales but that these are actual historical events that took place. So when we read about the worldwide flood in, in Genesis chapter 6 and 7, we can be very confident uh, that this talk that we can trust the Bible when it speaks on these issues of historical relevance. So I, I found a few things to share with you about the story of Gilgamesh. So the Epic of Gilgamesh is from 650 BC. That's what they estimate. And it's from Nineveh, and it tells a story which is strikingly similar to the story of Noah. So, for example, here are some similarities. God decided to destroy the world because of its wickedness and sinfulness. Both stories say that. Both stories say that a righteous man was directed to build a large boat and to save a specific group of people, family, and animals. And uh, both of the arcs were huge. Um, both arcs had a single door and a window. Uh, in both stories, the rain covered all of the land and the mountains. Uh, the biblical flood was 40 days and 40 nights, and the Gilgamesh flood was about the same time. Uh, both of them had birds that were released in the story, and then after the rain ceased, both arcs came to rest on a mountain. Sacrifices were offered, and God promised in both stories not to do it again. Here's my take on this, that this is the, both of these stories are reflecting an actual event that happened. Of course, my trust is in the biblical account of what happened, and for several reasons. One of them is that I would say that the Gilgamesh story is clearly a, a copy, and, and I'll tell you why, is because if you look at the the stories of the descendants of Noah, you see that from the descendants, the direct descendants of Noah, comes Abraham. And so this story would have been passed on orally through the ages. And the, the Jews are very exacting in keeping records of their relatives. And so it's just a couple generations between Noah and Abraham. And so it's very clear that this, you know, the Jews would have known who this person was. They would have also exactingly kept this story. We see that that's one of the features, and it's one of the things about the Jewish people is that they were very careful to keep exacting records. And so I think that, if anything, the story of Gilgamesh just makes us more confident in the Bible and what it says about history. Let's go to line one, where we've got Ken in Loveland, Colorado. Hi, Ken. Welcome to the program. Hi. Um, Hi. Yeah, I'm in... Uh, First John chapter three and five, and um, recently I sort of came to the conclusion or the realization that you know even though I've been a believer for a long time, I'm I'm trying to uh, and over time I feel like I drifted and I sort of become very carnal. So I'm trying to draw closer to God, and we're trying to understand sin in the believer and our relationship to it. So as you can see, chapter three, in First John, and it, it, there are certain statements that it makes: whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him. That's verse 9, and there are other places as well. So I'm trying to understand, as a believer, when you sin, is it that, when it says you do not sin, is it because you're covered by the work of Christ, or is that to mean that you literally should not be sinning once you become a believer? Well, I'll tell you this. In First John's interesting in this way. I don't want to get too much into the background of it, um, but I will take you back to chapter 1. And I say this is the place to start in this topic, is chapter 1, because what you're talking about in chapter 3, uh, the foundation for that is found in chapter 1. 
And so here's, here's what he says. You know, I, I had a question about this the last time I hosted the show, and, and it's a really interesting book. You know, he's writing it to kind of combat Gnosticism, mm-hmm. which was a very dualistic way of thinking, you know, right or wrong, uh, black and white. And so he uses that kind of black and white type of language. It's all or nothing type of language that he uses. So here's what he says, starting in verse 5 of chapter 1. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk, and there's your key word, walk, in darkness, we lie and do not practice, there's your second key word, practice the truth. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now check this, check this out, verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and the, his word is not in us. And so what he's, he's doing, and then he says, very next verse, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's the propitiation for our sins, and so on. Okay, so here's the point. He's saying... Look, here's the reality of the Christian life. We have been called to holiness. We've been called to walk in the light. We've been called to forsake sin and fully embrace Jesus. But the fact of life is that we are not yet perfected. We're not yet, we are no longer what we were, but we're not yet what we will be. And so uh, this side of heaven, while we're in this process called sanctification, that God is working in us by his spirit to make us more and more like Jesus and get the sin out of our life and, and bring holiness and goodness into our lives, that we are still going to commit sins. But there's a really big difference, and I, I tell you what, he uses this word over and over in this text, and that is practice. Mm-hmm. And the other one is, where did I say it was? Practice the truth and, and walk. walk. Yeah, practice and walk. So I'd describe it to you this way. Uh, think about practicing, right? I don't know if you're a golfer. I'm a, I'm a terrible golfer, but I think that golf's a good analogy here. So um, with golf, right? Some people want to get better at golf, so they practice their golf swing, right? And so you practice something to get better at it. Practice and walk both have an implication of doing something continuously and going in a certain direction, right? Like you don't practice to get worse at something. You practice right. to get better at something. So I think you could imagine it as uh, two, two different people, right? You've got one guy who wakes up in the morning and, uh, you know, thinking about how he can get better at doing whatever sin this is. You know, how can he do it more effectively and how can he do it better? And then the other guy is waking up in the morning saying, you know what? I just don't, I want to walk with God. I want to walk away from sin. Another analogy I use for this is if you can think about, um, you know, Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says that if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. And that's actually a big theme here in John. He's talking about, you know, there's an old life and there's a new life. So walk in the new life and forsake the old life. And, and so... And- and that's sort of what I'm up against, because it, um, the realization that I've had probably a little more than a month ago is that I've been a Christian for a long time. I feel like I started out well, but I did. There was a point where I felt like I just sort of, where I strayed and I became, and I, and I did let, like, the cares of this world sort of take me away. So never really forgot about God. He's always been on my mind. Um, we've continued to go to church, but 
I definitely feel like I, for a long time, I mean, I've been away, so I'm trying to overcome that. Um, yeah. and, I, and, I'm, and I'm trying to not let myself feel like I'm working for something because I know that that can't work either. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Uh, I'll explain to you in these two last things that I'll say. Imagine, you know, the difference between um, these two creations, right? The old life and the new life. You could say two different animals, right? Mm-hmm. On the one hand, you've got a sheep, and on the other hand, you've got a pig. Pigs love to roll around in the mud. Now, sheep does not, but sometimes a sheep can be going along and he trips and falls in the mud. But it's not. he doesn't wake up in the morning looking for the mud to roll around in. And to me, that sounds like where you're at. And so I would just encourage you, sounds to me like the verse that you need to hear. This is, this is the thing. The, the, there are certain verses in here. We all need to hear all of this. But some of these verses speak particularly to people who are at different places, right? So where he says, uh, you know, if you are sinning and you call yourself a Christian, then maybe you're not a Christian, is what he says. But who's he saying that to? Is he saying that to the, the sheep who falls in the mud to make them feel bad about falling in the mud? Now he's saying that to the pig who's rolling around in the mud. And he's saying, you know, you really do need to question if you're in the faith. But to the person, like, it sounds to me like where you're at, who says, I want to walk with the Lord, but man, I'm still struggling with some stuff. He says this, uh, I'm writing so that you may not sin, but if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father. He's the propitiation for our sins. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. It's his righteousness before God that matters not your personal righteousness. Because the fact is that by faith, by grace, he gives you his righteousness. And so here's, here would be to your other point that you made. How do you then grow? Um, how do you move forward? And I think that you're on the right track by saying that you can't just do it by giving yourself a list of rules. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, Paul addresses that very clearly. He says, what was begun in the spirit, are you now going to make it perfect? in the flesh? I mean, are you, God has saved you by his spirit. He's done a work in you by his spirit. Are you now going to try and become perfect by just giving yourself a bunch of rules? Because that's what a lot of Christians do. You know, we say that grace is what we need to become a Christian. But once you've got in the door, or once we've got somebody in the door, then we give them a laundry list of rules. You know, don't smoke, don't chew, don't go out with girls who do, don't listen to this kind of music, don't go to this place and that place, rather than allowing the Holy Spirit to do that work in their life um, and by giving them the food, the spiritual food to help them on that journey. Here's what I would tell you. The best thing that you can do is to continually bring yourself to the gospel. Not about what you need to do more for God, but about what God has done for you. And I believe that as you continually come back to the gospel over and over, as you behold it, as you set your eyes upon it, as you rejoice in it and you know, roll it around in your head and in your heart every day, as you hear it preached, as you, um, as you preach it to others, you know, the more that you think about Jesus, fix your eyes on him rather than on yourself, it's kind of counterintuitive, but that is when you will start to see a lot of growth happening in your life. All right. It does help. It helps. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad. So, hey, that is awesome that you're, you're walking with the Lord again. How long has that been going on? Um, well, like I said, I, I mean, I, I started out, I was starting to become worried about my family. I mean, I have three kids that I'm raising, and then 
about a month and a half ago, sort of had this realization that I had gotten so far from God that really I can't do anything for anyone else until I sort of fix my own walk. Hmm. And uh, so it's, I mean, I've been, I mean, every day I'm very focused on this. Um, I mean, I can't, in fact, I'm at a place where I can't even forget about it for even a minute. It's that, I was that appalled um, by really what what I've sort of become over the years. Mm. You know, not that it was just, I was doing some sort of overt, terrible thing. I'm just more, it just becomes sort of lukewarm Mm. and passive in, in all of the things that I needed to be doing. Well, how, let me just ask you a few things real quick. Um, have you are you plugged into a good church up there? Uh, yes, I am. Good. Um, but we, we 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 sort of made the mistake of doing a lot of church hopping, and we were looking for all these different churches and figuring out well, this one works great for this kid, but not for us. And you know, finally, we decided you know we we have a good church, and that's where we're going, no matter you know no matter what. I think that's wise. Yeah. yeah. Good. And uh, I would just encourage you, you know, the more that you can be taking in, you know, it's that whole idea that Paul talks about of sowing and reaping. You know, if you sow good things, if you sow the gospel, you sow God's word into your life, it's going to bear good fruit. So be be conscious of what you're sowing into your life. I would say be taking in the word of God, be in fellowship with other believers. Maybe there's a small group that you can be getting involved with. Maybe there's... Um, podcasts that you can begin listening to i would just encourage you to be filling your heart and your mind with the word of god and with fellowship with other believers okay and uh, and i would i would just conclude kind of by saying you know what paul said where he realized that he he had gone so far from god this is in philippians chapter three you know that he was finding his identity in his accomplishments and in his his um, status and all these things. And he says, you know, now I look at these things, I just count them as, as rubbish. You know, mm-hmm. I just want to be found in Christ. But then he says this very important thing. He says, here's the one thing I do. I forget what's behind me and I strain forward to what lies ahead and I press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. And so I would encourage you in that. You know, you're not going to help yourself by getting down on yourself for for past mistakes set your eyes on that prize move forward and it sounds like that's what you're doing and i just want to encourage you in that but i encourage you not to not to look back you're not going that way anyway so let me uh pray for you ken thank you heavenly father thank you for ken thank you for this work that you're doing in his life for calling ken back to yourself and thank you lord that ken has responded to that and that he's responding to you and wanting to walk with you lord i pray that he wouldn't be condemned about uh he wouldn't have a sense of condemnation or because we know that's not from you you bring conviction but lord not condemnation you bring conviction unto hope and so lord i thank you that he has heard that and i pray that he would uh, truly not look behind to his past mistakes but look ahead and look to you jesus and keep continuing to move in that direction that he would feed his heart and his family with the pure milk of your word and the the cleansing them with the water of your word lord that it would just be um just a, a something that helps them grow as they sow these seeds of the gospel lord you'd water them and they'd bear much fruit in ken's life his family's life Lord, I pray you'd help him as a father and as a husband. Thank you that um, you're doing this work in his life. And I pray for anybody else listening who says, man, I'm in that same spot. Or maybe I'm in that spot and I haven't even responded to God like Ken has. Lord, I pray that you would continue to draw them, continue to call them, continue to 
water those seeds that have been planted. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks right. for calling, Ken. God bless you. All right. Thank you, brother. All right. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air today. We've got two open lines right now. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Let's go to Chris on line two in Golden, Colorado. Hi, Chris. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Nick. How are you doing? Doing well. Welcome to the program. Thank you. So I was tuning in as uh, I was on my way to work from the commute, and I couldn't help but uh, be provoked when you were talking about the example Paul set for us in terms of giving up his freedom so that others would be willing to Christ. And yeah. immediately what, what came to my head was um, Galatians 5.1 and the liberty that Christ has set us free for. And to me, like, I, I just, the question popped up to me, why would God give us the example of Paul, gives up his freedom, his liberty, when Christ came to give us our liberty through him? If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Now, let's think about what these two kinds of liberties are, okay? Because are we talking about the same kind of liberty? Let's define it. What kind of liberty is Paul talking about in Galatians chapter 5? He's talking about liberty from thinking that you need to do things in order to win God's favor. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about liberty in the gospel. Okay, so he, his whole context there in Galatians, I'll give you just a, really briefly, his whole context in Galatians is that there were these people who came in. He, he had gone to this region of Galatia on his first missionary journey. He had started these churches. He had taught them the gospel. And his gospel message to them had been Jesus plus nothing equals salvation, right? And so then these people had come in, and they were the Judaizers, you know? So the Judaizers, what they did is that they said, hey, hey, you can't be a Christian, you can't have salvation unless you first become a Jew in circumcision and in diet. And so they were, what they would do is rather than kind of, that's kind of a hard thing to convert people to, right? Like if you were to go and you're going to be like a missionary to the Greeks and say, Hey, good news. Jesus died for you. He rose from the dead so you can have eternal life. And all you need to do in order to take hold of it is just believe in Jesus and get circumcised. And they'd be like, wait, what did you just say? They'd be like, well, I just said all you got to do is believe in Jesus and get circumcised. And they'd be like, get circumcised? What? So because it was such a hard sell evangelistically to people who weren't familiar with Christianity, what these Judaizers would do is, these legalists, they would kind of like come in after a church had been started or after people had become Christians, and they try to convert people who are already Christians into this kind of legalistic gospel of Jesus plus circumcision or Jesus plus Jewish diet. And they were very sincere in this, but Paul's like, okay, you're sincere, but it's sincerely wrong because what you're doing is you're adding to the gospel. And anytime you add to the gospel, you uh, adulterate the gospel. It's no longer the gospel. So for them, the freedom it was talking about was a gospel issue. It was saying, hey, Jesus set you, it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. And then he says right after that, so don't again be set into a yoke of bondage or don't again submit yourselves to a yoke of bondage. The bondage that he's talking about is in chapter 4 of Galatians where he's talking about the law versus um, grace. It's two, two views about how to be saved. I don't want to say two ways to be saved because the fact is that even in the Old Testament, nobody was saved by keeping the law. 
All that to say this, when Paul's talking in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 about surrendering his rights, and he, or I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, where he's talking about surrendering his rights, and he sa- he's talking about issues that are not gospel issues. And there's the big difference for you. To put it in one sentence, the difference between those two is we are to fight for freedom when it comes to the gospel, but in secondary, kind of ancillary, kind of, you know, peripheral issues, we, we don't fight for our rights so much as we are concerned about the weaker brother. So, you know, with the Galatians, it was like people adding to the gospel. Now, with Paul in 1 Corinthians, it's like some people were being offended because other Christians were eating meat that had been sacrificed to idols. And some Christians were like, hey, look, those idols are nothing. They, there's no substance to this. So, and this meat is good and it's cheap. So I'm going to eat it and just trust that uh, there's nothing, you know, I'm not giving myself a curse by doing this, so to say. And Paul comes in and says, well, I actually agree with those people. But you know what? If it's being so offensive and it's causing division in the church and, and people don't understand, they don't get it, then I'm, I'm not going to, I wouldn't fight for that. That's not a hill to die on. So the gospel, on the other hand, is. So does that, that difference make sense? Yeah, that clarifies it a bit in terms of uh, gospel rights versus, you know, the rights we have, I guess, in this world. Yeah, and I think there, you know, I think an interesting question for you and me to talk about would be like, what what are some of those issues in our day and age? Uh, I certainly think that I know of a few, but I think that, you know, as you talk about people, you, you realize, okay, so what is the hill that's worth dying on? What are the gospel issues? You call them primary theological issues versus secondary. Secondary being stuff that we can just kind of agree to disagree. And, and then you have the issues where like, I'm not, I'm just not even going to go there before the sake of, of not offending people. Like, like we had a caller last week who was asking about smoking. I think smoking's an issue like that. I mean, I think you can make the case that, look, smoking might be kind of unwise uh, and definitely unhealthy, but I don't know if you could, you could probably make the case, you could argue it to say, I have freedom in Christ to do this. But you know what, as a, as a pastor, as a Christian person, even just in general, I only want to be known for one controversy, and that's the controversy of the gospel. I don't want to add any unnecessary controversies, like, for example, smoking. So, so do you I think, just leave those people be? Or would I leave like rich people be? similar to smoking or to drinking or I don't know anything else that might be considered one of those uh, teetering points, I guess. Or are you saying that would I confront somebody well, who's doing those things? Well, not confront, but if uh, if someone were to say that about X, Y, or Z in terms of God to give me the liberty to do this, uh, utilize that liberty. Yeah, if it was an issue like uh, like with Paul, right? Like a secondary issue. It's not a gospel issue. But it's just, it's confusing for people. It's offending some people. It's just unnecessary. And you're, you're being more known for a, uh, the controversy of something other than the gospel. Then, yeah, I would say I probably would confront them. I think that's exactly what Paul's doing here. He's saying, look, I actually agree with you guys on this topic. But for the sake of these weaker brothers, the people who, who don't get it, just don't do it. Like, it's unwise. And... And he says there at the end of the whole conversation, though, he says, let everyone be convinced in their own heart. And he says this too, 
if for you it's a sin, then it's a sin. In other words, like if you have a conviction that, say, smoking, for example, is wrong, then for you to go out and smoke would absolutely be a sin, and you shouldn't do that then. Um, but for another person who really wants to push the issue of their freedom, I might, you know, depending on the issue, I might confront them and just say, hey, is this wise? Is this helpful? You know, that's what, this is a cool context for when he says that phrase. A lot of things are lawful for me, but not everything is um, helpful. And so I think that's really the issue we have to address here. I think the same could be said for arguing over politics, uh, and I think there are plenty of other issues we could apply it to. Okay, thank you for clarifying that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Very Chris, thanks for calling in. God bless you. All right, you're listening, you. you're listening to Calvary Live. This is We're coming up on the last two minutes of the show. I'd love to get one more caller in here before the end of the show. So let's go to line one. We've got Desiree with a prayer request. Hi, Desiree, you there? Oh, Desiree's not there, but I'll tell you this. Desiree was praying. Uh, she has a sad heart, and she asked for prayer. So let's pray for Desiree uh, towards the end of the show here. Heavenly Father, we pray for Desiree. And uh, Lord, our hearts go out to her because we know what it's like to have sad hearts. We know that this is part of living in a fallen world and waiting for our redemption. And Lord, we read that in, the, in your word that the whole creation groans as in childbirth, just waiting for the redemption to start, to begin. And Lord, we, we long for it. We thank you that it has begun in Jesus and we look forward to the day when our redemption will be complete, when, we will, when our salvation will be complete, when we will stand before you in glory and perfection. And Lord, I pray for Desiree that you would, that you would comfort her. Your word says that you are near to the brokenhearted. And so Lord, would you be near to her? And would you embrace her? Lord, would you comfort her with the comfort that she needs? In Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Calvary Live. My name is Pastor Nick Cady, Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Come check us out if you're in the area. And tune in next Monday and every day here from 4 to 5 p.m. Mountain Time for Calvary Live. God bless you. You've been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's Word.